The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Socks Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host alongside James Fox, senior writer here at Future Socks. James, it's been a little bit. Really appreciate you taking the time. I can't wait to have a conversation because spring training White Sox baseball is well underway and we have plenty to talk about. First things first, though, James, what you been up to, man? It's been like a week or two since the last time we had a recording. Is all well in your neck of the woods? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, everything good for me. I mean, we, you know, we have a uh, high school spring football season that wasn't totally expected. So, you know, I've been a little busy, like with the baby, with the baby and uh, football. And it sounds like we're going to be teaching full days in person starting in April um, because everything's over, I guess we're, you know, so yeah. So I don't know. I'm ready though. I'm ready for opening day on the first. I wish the minor league season was starting on time, but we will get there. It sounds like. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode. Boy, looking at the date, March 13th, 2021, about a year ago today is when everything shifted and we had different types of conversations with all the experts about expectations, spring training put on hold, the season delayed. But today we are talking about optimism and baseball because it's being played, like you said. And that's great to hear about the local high school athletics. We want the students also in the classroom in a safe environment too. Helps out the parents out there, I know, I'm sure. But man, oh, good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff to look forward to now because the White Sox really haven't played well this spring. However, individual performances, I would say, is is really the evaluation here. And there's a lot to be excited about. One is the fact that like the fringe guys who are competing for their keep in AAA and maybe even at the big league level are healthy and on the field. They're getting reps live again. We have a catcher competition, maybe the 26th man, 25th man as well, trying to fill out the roster, just thinking about it ahead of time here with a couple weeks before opening day. But first things first, James, that starting pitching staff, it's going to be the story. Not only the starting pitching staff, but the bullpen, because it extends to that as well. The bullpen arguably is the best in the American League, if not the best in the American League definitively before opening day. And then the starting rotation is really solid as well. Outside of the top three, there's a little bit of a concern related to depth, but I feel like the White Sox have enough at least to get by before the all-star break trade deadline to figure things out according to whatever they need. So early impressions of spring training, we saw Michael Kopech debut, Jimmy Lambert's pitching 
awesome sign. Garrett Crochet is working. What are some of your impressions early on related to the starting pitching staff? And that could even extend to the big league starters like Giolito and Dylan Cease as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, the top three is really good. And, you know, nobody should really be concerned about the top three. Dylan Cease hasn't pitched yet this spring, I don't believe. But it seems like he's pretty much locked in at four. So, you know, I just think like this year is a little bit different than other years where the Sox are just going to keep, they're going to keep 13 pitchers. But... You know, it doesn't necessarily mean like starters and relievers, right? Because they have like kind of like a few swingmen on the team. I think everybody's should be assuming that Carlos Rodon's the number five. He got a guaranteed contract. He doesn't have options. Um, so he's probably the number five starter. Ronaldo Lopez pitched the other day and didn't look great. He got pounded a little bit. Um, so he does have an option. He could go down. But my guess is like Lopez goes to the bullpen and he's like your sixth starter, right? And then, you know, you have Crochet in a relief role, Kopech's on the team. And, you know, I think we're going to talk about Kopech a little bit more later. But I mean, so he's on the team, like in a relief role too. And then you mentioned Jimmy Lambert, Jonathan Stever are both guys that Tony LaRussa mentioned. Like, I, you know, I think that's pretty good depth. I, I think, you know, like lots of teams – don't have teams just don't have major league arms like laying around ready to pitch when your starters get hurt right so i think like if you need a spot start here or there like jimmy lambert or jonathan stever you know or even like a bernardo flores like making those starts Cade mcclure pitched a lot with the big club early on like i i don't i don't really think that their their depth is a weakness now you know, there's questions at four and five, obviously, right? So, I mean, if Cease is the Dylan Cease that we've seen and Carlos Rodon is hurt again, then yeah, then then you could have some problems, I think, because then you're relying on guys that maybe you don't want to like totally rely on. But I do think they have a lot of options for the first time in a while. Um, and I think they'll be in a position to add more in July if they need to. Yeah, it's interesting. And you talked about Ronaldo Lopez. I mean, if he's your sixth starter, you know, I mean, I'll take that compared to what the White Sox were dealing with in the past. So, Drissomar Despagne, Irvin Santana, I love bringing those names up. But, you you, you know, you talked about Cade McClure. Now, I'm glad you did because he was among the first reassigned uh, players to minor league camp. And it's not because, you know, he, he didn't perform. It's a matter of where he is related to his progression and we can most likely expect right James him to start in AAA and for that I mean just based on all the information we had in the offseason you mentioned in prior episodes that he was getting looks potentially as a rule five option this year I mean that tells you how advanced he is in his development and he just needs to get some innings in solidify his stuff and work at a high level affiliate across a full minor league season so the White Sox can evaluate a little bit better. Yeah, so we got really good reports from scouts and, you know, other outlets heard stuff too about Cade McClure. And and I kind of think he's a guy that we were kind of waiting on. You know, it's a guy that I had never ranked before just because, you know, it was like a, he was like a back-end starter maybe, but his stuff like – you know, wasn't as wasn't as good as I think the White Sox thought that it could be. And then he had some injuries. And I know you've always kind of been a fan, but then I guess he worked with um, with um, Ben Hansen, the the biomechanical engineer. And you know, they he literally has more life on the fastball. He was getting up to ninety five. His his breaking stuff is better, and he's you know he's an option now. There there were 
you know, JJ Cooper of Baseball America and some others like mentioned that McClure got legit looks like in the in the Rule Five, like from you know from bad teams. But I mean, he would have been in the big leagues this year. So yeah, I, I wouldn't rule him out. I, he hasn't pitched much at Birmingham, but I mean, the way last year went, my guess is like he's he's at Charlotte probably with Lambert and Stever and whatever other like you know veteran foray type guys they have there. So. Yeah, I think I think he's got a shot either here or or elsewhere. And you know, he he really went out and got better, and he's healthy, and you know, he's kind of put himself on the map a little bit. Yeah, I'm excited to see what McClure can put together. His spin spin rate improved, and you know, he he was open about talking about the way he attacks hitters with his fastball, one that doesn't overpower you, but it has the deception that it gets on you quicker, and with that higher spin rate, it'll rise up in the zone, so that'll allow him to ta- uh, attack hitters in different locations with his uh, pretty solid breaking stuff that we saw in spring training. Talking about the depth, keeping it right here, Jimmy Lambert is somebody that made an impact last season early before he went down with injury. And I think the expectation for the White Sox is that he remains a starting pitcher. Now, when we were on the Locked On Sox podcast celebrating our top 30 list for future Sox, and I encourage the listeners to go check that out, I was under the impression, and I think I still am, but I'm just not I'm not sure, I'm not convinced yet, that Jimmy Lambert is better suited as a relief pitcher. And I just say that based on you know the history of arm issues, plus his stuff. His stuff is great. However, the White Sox believe he's still a starting pitcher. How are you ga- gauging the situation related to Jimmy Lambert and his standing with the White Sox? So, I mean, I think after... The second injury, and and look, we don't. I guess we still don't know how serious the injury was, right? It was like a flexor strain, and you know we didn't see him again. So I thought it was like the worst case scenario. But I mean, he's back. He looked really good um, in a spring training game today, which was Saturday when we're recording. You know, for the first in, and his off speed stuff looked really good. And I, you know, I think he was, you know, his fastball looked good. I, there was no mile per hour on the screen, but I, you know, I think develop continue to develop him as a as a starter makes sense, right? Because he's more valuable as a starter, even if he's like a number four or number five starter for trade purposes or just for depth, right? Like he's the type of guy where if they didn't have the bullpen that they have, like maybe you put him in the pen and his stuff plays up and he's like really good in relief. But I mean, he, you know, he's not even going to crack this bullpen because the bullpen um, is one of the best in the American league, maybe the best in the American league. So I'm, I'm good with, with the path that they're taking, he's probably on an innings limit, just like all their other arms that have had some setbacks and stuff in the past. So I think him starting at Charlotte is a positive, And I think we will see him in Chicago at some point, because obviously like injuries are going to happen, especially this year. Yeah. Looking at that bullpen, I mean, a lot of those spots are already solidified. Then not many spots open for competition and there might be some fallout related to the 26 man considering the White Sox are most likely going to have to add Jonathan Lucroy if he wants to be on the opening day roster to the 40-man roster and the active roster and so what it's it's one of those situations more so that he has to be added to the active roster of course because you figure that was the veteran backup and he gets signed really positive reviews from camp uh, he said outwardly, you know, his typical spring training thing, but he had a back issue that was fixed. Speaking of Lucroy, that he feels better than he has in years. So that's encouraging to hear. And I bring up Lucroy because a lot of the young pitchers are throwing to Jonathan Lucroy. So he figures to be the primary backup. 
and that leaves Zach Collins. And I don't want to jump ship from the starting pitching and bullpen conversation just yet, but that's just something to keep in mind as we continue this podcast, as we'll get to Zach Collins here in a little bit. I want to take you back, though, to Michael Kopech, because related to the depth, you talked about outside of the top four, I want to include Dylan Cease, and you're right, he hasn't made an appearance in spring yet, as we record this on 313, but he has been throwing multiple side sessions, live bullpens under the watchful eye of White Sox instructors. So that fifth, sixth role, right, we talked about Rodon and potentially Reynaldo Lopez and the field. That leads me to ask you, how long will it take for Michael Kopech to earn a spot in the starting rotation? Because Tony Russo wants to use him now. That means he's going to make the team out of the bullpen most likely. And from there, you know, we can expect him to be a starter because that's where his value is. Yeah, I mean, he's a starter. I think they know he's a starter. You know, I think he's in the bullpen because he's one of their best 13 arms and there's no minor league season, right? I feel like if Charlotte starts on time, which they're not, maybe we're not having this conversation. Maybe he's down there. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe they just know that he has whatever it is, right? We've we've talked about this a lot, like 120 innings. And they feel like all 120 should be in Chicago. And, you know, I commend them for that if, if that's indeed – what they think. Um, I don't think he's going to be in relief all year because I think they, you know, if you're going to, it's, it's similar to the crochet thing. Like if, if you're, you know, you're still thinking that Michael Kopech is going to start in future years, he needs the inning space. So at some point he's going to be starting. I think for the White Sox sake, like hopefully that's June, July maybe, and not like early May because Ronaldo Lopez is bad and, and Carlos Rodon is, hurt already and then you have to go to Kopech too soon and then you're potentially shutting him down for the playoffs but you know I do think you know he he's gonna make starts this year so maybe you know I'll say he makes probably like 10 to 12 starts or so probably um is what is what I would guess and you know he's gonna start out of the bullpen we'll see how many innings he gets out of the bullpen I I would I would have a much better answer you know if I knew how many innings he was throwing this year. But I just don't think anybody does other than them, and I don't really expect them to share it either. You mentioned June, and that was the month that kind of popped into my head when I posed this question. I feel like that would be that would be ideal. Uh, I want to see Michael Kopech as a starter so badly, and I think he's ready to do that. It's not like a crochet situation where he hasn't necessarily ever done it. I mean, Kopech has built his body to the point where, one, he's in pretty good physical shape. His arm's in ready condition now. Because he's done it before and because, obviously, he's he's in the type of shape that he is, I think he's capable of transitioning to a starter from the bullpen quickly, no? Yeah, I think so. I just, you know, he, he's definitely a starter. I, I think that's the bottom line. I just yeah. I just think that it's they, – they just need him to pitch, and it's all about the innings like we said. I think if there were no innings limit, I think he's their number five starter. But with the innings limit – it just doesn't make sense to start him out of the gate and then stop him short, you know, like the Nationals did with Steven Strasburg, and then you're sure. potentially in the playoffs and you don't have Michael Kopech. So I think, you know, I think for now they've said like he's in the bullpen, but you know, Tony Larusa did say they're going to try to prioritize multi-inning outings and stuff like that and keep the long term, you know, in mind. And I have no reason not to believe him on that. Yeah, with Kopech, you bear, you brought up a really good point. Without a minor league season. It changes things a little bit, but you also brought up another great point is why 
throw him in minor league baseball if he's on an innings limit when he's already a major league pitcher and you can utilize him at the big league level. I mean, it only makes sense and continue his development, get him into shape and then do what you want whenever you're ready and you feel like he's ready. So I think that's that's a good point. We'll just continue to monitor Kopech, but I mean, it's legit. This is a hard-throwing right-handed starter who's at the White Sox disposal, right? It's like a free agent signing that they didn't have to do anything for, you know? Like they still have him under control until he's 27, I believe, which is or, or longer than that. Yeah, longer than so he's he'll pitch this year at 25 yeah, and say. he's got five 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 years of control yeah. still. So, so there you go. Yeah. There you go. Michael Kopech is uh is good to go and I can't wait to watch him work. And we mentioned Garrett Crochet. I think we we've talked about Crochet at nauseum already. You know, the, the bullpen is where he's going to be now. And whether or not he transitions to a starter later, we'll see. But, man, is he nasty. And I think as a weapon in any situation, if he has to come in in the ninth to, it, because Liam Hendricks had a multi-inning relief appearance the day prior, he's capable of doing that. If he's in a jam in the sixth, crochet can be used then. I mean, that is – that is such an awesome weapon to have for Tony Larusa and the White Sox, and I think it's what's understated is Tony Larusa's ability to understand what he has uh, among the roster. I think that's always been one of his strengths is managing a roster uh, and not putting players in unfair situations or situations where they're set to fail. So that'll be fun to watch. But I brought up the catching situation. Let's shift gears a little bit here. Zach Collins' situation with the team, James. I mean. Lucas Giolito, Liam Hendricks, they both threw to him this spring. His that they had both very high praise on his pitch calling, uh, his ability behind the the plate, and I think that's really been the focus as we've been following Zach Collins. The bat, not so much, despite not having a lot of success at the big league level. But just behind the plate, is he a capable backup catcher? And I think he's starting to pass the test here, James. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, th- I think he can, you know, I don't think he can catch every day, but I think you can get away with catching him. I've always kind of said, like, if Omar Narvaez can catch in the majors and Zach Collins can too, and I think there's, you know, all these reports about the bad defense, like in the minors, and, and that's what people are falling back on. But, I mean, the pitchers have, have been pretty positive about, you know, some of his changes. You know, he it's a lot of, you know, it was always like a lot of pass balls, you know, and stuff like that because of like the sheer size of him and not so much like his game calling like acumen. Um, and, you know, he's worked with Grandall on that. Jerry Naren has instilled just a little bit of like he's he's uh, down like on a knee now. I don't know if you've seen and Collins has talked about that where, you know, his entire setup behind the plate has changed. The other thing Zach Collins brings to the table is just that he's like a left-handed bat and, you know, he's like decent in spring training and obviously like spring training numbers are spring training numbers, but I mean, he's a power like on base type guy. They don't have a bunch of those guys. You know, I think he can hit righties in the majors. Um, so, so we'll see. I mean, I do think he's going to get some major league time. I, I think Jonathan Lucroy, you didn't really ask, but I, I think Lucroy is probably on the team. I, I just think he was signed as that veteran to be the backup. So Collins, you know, Collins to make the team is in the mix for like third catcher, some DH at bats, depending on what they do with Andrew Vaughn, stuff like that. And then, you know, they do have Yerman Mercedes and Sebi Zavala in camp as well. I think it's going to be tough for those guys to make the team. I think a lot of people would like to see Yerman. I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. 
who you play them over and when, you know, it's just, it's a really good team and it's tough for guys like that to make a really good team. So we'll, we'll see um, what they do here. I mean, they don't have much longer before they're going to be finalizing a roster. So I agree with you that Luke Croy is the, was most likely a primary backup. And I mentioned, yeah, like you bring in a guy like that, that would, losing McCann, you needed to find a veteran backup because you just didn't have enough faith in the catchers listed in the roster on the 40 man and in your system. So uh, I, I wonder what is going to happen with Andrew Vaughn and how it pertains to the 26-man opening day roster because, James, it seems like Andrew Vaughn's ready to go. I mean, it's flat out. He should be on the opening day roster. We don't know what the White Sox are thinking business-wise. You know, they, they could manipulate service time, but without the start of spring training or the minor league season, what's the point of having him stay down or have him in extended spring or monitored wherever you know, like just put him on the big league roster and then find a way to extend him if you want to do that. And just don't worry about service manipulation. I mean, that's just my opinion, because if you're trying to win, this is your guy. This is a guy who's ready to hit now. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, from what everything they're saying, it seems like Andrew Vaughn's going to be on the team. I, I still lean towards if he's on the team, it's probably a contract extension just because of and I'll keep saying this and like I'm totally fine being wrong. You know, just like the way they've operated indicates as much. Like they they sent Nick Madrigal down in a sixty game season. So why would they treat Andrew Vaughn any differently? I don't know, but you know, it has been an awful lot of talk about how he's the leader at DH and look, I think he's got like a four sixty on base percentage in, in spring training. I mean he looks he looks awesome. So yeah, I think I think he's I think he's probably on the team. I think he's probably in Anaheim on April 1st, um, whether that's a contract or not. But I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden he's sent back to minor league camp and everybody freaks out. And, you know, I think rightfully if they do that, like I think I, I understand it from the team perspective when your owner is who your owner is. Um, but, you know, I would definitely understand people being very angry about it. He's got to be on the opening year roster. He's just he's ready to go, and if you want to win, that's your guy. Yeah, he looks he looks really good, and we and we talked about like, look, there was no minor league season, and I I saw him three times at the at the alternate site, and he looks the part, and I just feel like had there been a minor league season, there'd be no questions about DH right now, and I know that's kind of like well, duh, you know, but I, I just think that's a fact. I think. Like had he played last year at Double A or whatever, everybody would just assume that he was on the team instead of. And I think the last time we talked, I think I I might have said like people think the White Sox are being aggressive. I think they think they're being conservative yeah. mm -hmm. because he because he wasn't up last year. You know, like they think they're slow playing it while everybody else is kind of like, you're going to rush this guy that hasn't played above high A. What are you doing? They, they feel like totally the opposite. They, they think he's, he's ready. And they, he, they almost called him up last mm -hmm. year. And that's what I'm thinking as well. In 2019, you know, he played over a hundred games combined in college and, and then in minors advanced day first taste of professional ball. The numbers don't jump out at you, but I mean, it was very encouraging the type of production he was able to put forth. And again, in his first professional season, then 2020, you know, you expected him to take that next step. But he was already really impressing White Sox instructors in 2020. And as it 
you know, as the season got delayed, there was an extended period where he continued to work. And you could have made the argument that he was ready to go in July. Now, probably lose that argument, but that's how advanced he was as a hitter at that point. Like by July of 2020, he could have played in the major leagues. So then you you talk about the alternate site. He's getting work in every day, and instructors are in his ear all the time. And again, these are White Sox team sources who are telling everyone, or us at least, and you, that everything he's checking the boxes and everything appears outstanding. And we talk about biomechanics. I mean, everything that Andrew Vaughn has been doing, he's checking the boxes, and there's very little negatives to say about his game outside of you know, the rookie status where he's just going to have to overcome things that young players in the big leagues have to overcome. But it's like his eye is elite. He's got unbelievable back control. And like you said, he's uh, getting on base in spring training already, taking his walks, and he's spreading the ball all over the field. I mean, he's checking all of the boxes. This is a guy who's ready to go. And I just when you have this type of conversation, it's a great problem to have with the, the multiple – options at designated hitter, I guess, at this point. And a lot of them are internal. It's not like the White Sox are going out and spending on a guy to just flail out and then the roster's stuck because you're paying money invested in a guy who's taking up a, a spot on the 26 man. It's not the case now because you can mix and match, like you mentioned with Yerman and Zach Collins and Andrew Vaughn currently, even Gavin Sheets down the road. It's just as I'm thinking about the 26 man roster, I'm wondering who may get left off and then who may be, because you mentioned too, before we started let's talk about this real quick before we started this podcast you talked about the taxi squad being available and i think that's a very understated uh mention about the beginning of this season so james just please explain what the taxi squad entails considering the minor league seasons delayed until may and what that means for the white Sox and their roster spots yeah so i mean it seems like Similar to last year, like minor league spring training will start in April, like as soon as the season starts. So I think all your typical minor leaguers will be there. I think most of your non-roster type guys, and obviously like nobody wants to see Mike Wright pitch ever again. I mean, Lord help us. But, you know, those types of guys and all the NRIs, I think will go to the alternate site, you know, just like as big league reinforcements, like until the AAA season starts. So, you know, the Sox start with seven on the West Coast, so they'll go to Anaheim and they get to, you know, they'll have a 26-man roster, but they get to bring five on the taxi squad with them. I'm guessing three pitchers make sense, you know, probably an infielder and maybe an outfielder or whatever. Like, I think maybe one of them has to be a catcher. I'm not really sure. Um, so, I mean, I think guys are there. You know, I think the debate for the 26-man, you know, if Vaughn's on the team, ultimately comes down to Zach Collins or Danny Mendick. And I just kind of feel like, you know, Collins' left-handed bat is more useful. Um, he could catch if they needed him to. He could come in later and, like, play catcher if they pinch hit for a catcher, like uh, Grandal could DH. I just think he's more useful than Mendick. And Mendick's only, like, a phone call away during the season, and he probably travels with the team anyway if something happens to an infielder. So Mendick just seems not necessary to me because he's not really – the backup anywhere at like any spot, right? I think they'd go to Leary before they would use Mendick anyway. So if you had an injury, Leary can get you out of a game and then, and then you can just call Mendick up anyway. So having him like sitting on the bench as the 26 man just doesn't really make that much sense to me when you can have Collins's left-handed bat on the team instead. But I'm obviously 
biased because I don't really think Zach Collins has anything else to prove right. anywhere. Yeah, I, I'm hoping Zach Collins makes the team and actually gets plate appearances. You want to see this kid develop because at this point, like, you figure what else is there for him to you know, have to prove to the White Sox or convince the White Sox to say, hey man, give me a shot. At least let me play in multiple games in a row. You know, the swing and miss rate isn't concerning, but boy, does he have a lot of pop in his bat. And if he's capable of high in the dish, and, and the thing is, as a catcher, you want to be in sync with the pitcher in terms of pitch calling, what stuff's working and what, you know, what outing or what inning. And it seems like he's he's doing well. And like pitchers who are thrown to him are vouching for him across early Sox spring. So that's really good stuff, James. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the minor league situation just to fill in uh, our listeners as it was announced that the minor league season, especially AAA, will get delayed a month. Uh, throws things for a loop a little bit. And that brings in also an alternate site. And I just wonder where that alternate site will be as well. But I'm sure we'll get more information as the days progress, opening day in a couple of weeks. Let's talk about the new rule changes, James, that was announced a couple of days ago. In AAA, let's start there. Bases are being increased from 15 inches square to 18 inches square. And what MLB released in, in their rationale behind it in this experimentation is one, it helps with stolen bases, right? More efficiency. And then as well, you know, they said, hey, small ball, beat out infield singles, beat out bunts, bunt attempts. Do you see this as a positive right now in the game? And I should mention too, it, it allows runners running down the first baseline to not, or I shouldn't say not, but um, lessen the risk of stepping on a foot or something from the first baseman, um, lessens the risk of injury as well. Yes, I think it's I think it's a no brainer. The big bases. I mean, I think it does bring stolen bases back to the game. I'm I'm actually okay with like the three true outcomes style of baseball. Um, most people aren't. They want more action. So this is like another way to get a little bit more act. You know, action into the game. I, I, I we're gonna talk about the other rules. Obviously, I've always kind of thought that you know the game shifted because pitching is awesome. Right. And maybe you disagree with, and maybe you disagree, but like, yeah, like when everybody throws 97, you can't string five hits together anymore. Right. So, like, you can take away shifting and you can do all this stuff and you can try to like promote like putting the ball in play, but there's a reason why teams play this way. Right. It's because like you'd sacrifice the strikeouts in order to walk more. And then, you know, hopefully you hit three run homers. And I know people don't like love watching that, but man, like the baseball that our dads watched, it's just not possible when pitchers are as good as they are, like, unless they're going to like lower the mound again. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's good that they're actively trying stuff. And now that, Major League Baseball's running the minor leagues. Like this is this is like a good function of that where you can just try stuff there and if it doesn't work, then you don't ever do it again. But you know, you might as well try things in games that don't um that don't really count. And I think stolen bases, you know, are something that the numbers type guys like think are unnecessary, but that is an added part of the game where you know, if you have guys capable of stealing bases, it's it's pretty exciting. And the White Sox actually have a bunch of guys on their team that I would I would like to see them run a lot more. I you know pitchers evolve the athlete evolves and outside of the steroid era you know like like you said they lowered the mound before and it's a result of pitching dominating what about the dead ball era I mean going way back way back and you know pitching has always been the standard really that that gets the game started and 
hitters have to react and they're evolving as well. But it's at this point, the pitchers have such an advantage with how so many of them throw so hard and have so much break. And now with the technology, they can manipulate that to their full advantage. Right. And it's just exactly what you're saying. Uh, it does make sense. You know, the, the best part to come out of all this minor league stuff, and I'll, I'm just going to interject here, is that we no longer have to say um, class A advanced anymore or like you know they're not they got rid of the designation altogether it's now high a mm-hmm. that is what it is called so you no longer like in your writing have to hear class like see class a advanced because nobody ever called it that even though that's what it was actually right. called this whole time and it didn't make any well, sense well i'm happy for you james <laughs> put your mind at ease a little bit all right let's move on to double yes. uh, a high a and low a let's get all of these rules out there and we'll react and double A is where the defensive shifting um, is taking place, the, the experimentation there. Players can still shift anywhere on the infield. However, you have to stay on the infield. You cannot stand anywhere on the – your heel cannot touch the grass of the outfield. So, I mean, instant reaction, James, is that okay with you? I hate outlawing any sort of shifting just because, you know, I guess maybe it's – counterintuitive to like what I said about pitching being awesome, but I just kind of feel like, you know, why, why are you going to tell anybody where they should line up? Right. Like if they're going to shift like that, then hit it like where they're not. But I guess this isn't, it's not totally horrible because I think it's just what they have to be. They have to have their feet in the dirt, like before the ball is pitched. Right. Isn't that what it is? So, Mm -hmm. you know, so we'll see. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, but I, I, I don't like the, you know, telling teams that they have to have two guys on one side. And I just, you know, I kind of think that's like what it's ultimately going to get to. And I I think it's just going to like make games last longer personally. Yeah. They want more average on balls in play, a higher batting average on balls in play um, with that limitation there. So then, then, then lower the mind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like is my, yeah. I, you know, my nightmare scenario with the shift is, you know, you limit them up the middle, right? So the shortstop and third baseman cannot, cross second base into the second base first base areas and then as the ball is being pitched they sprint over to the other side you know like i I don't want to see that and i hope it never happens so i i hope they you know this is the last of the defensive shifting limitations but i doubt it so we'll see how that goes well i think like what jim told me like with jim told me i think i heard darren jackson say this somewhere like you know people were like oh we're just gonna put this extra guy over here and you're gonna ground into it and he was like no i'm just gonna hit it over everybody's head still and I generally just like kind of think that that's how power hitters operate, right? Like they don't get paid to to poke a ball like down the third baseline and like go stand it first. Like teams would teams would love that if you know, like whoever Juan Soto, like you're all shifted to the right side and he like lays a bunt down. Like congratulations, like they'll give him a single to left any any at bat as long as he's not hitting it out of the stadium mm-hmm. exactly yeah and it's you know it's part of today's game so that's something that is something okay now in high a the step off rule is being implemented and the pitchers have to totally disengage the rubber so they have to completely step off if they want to pick you know at first what in the past you could just go you just it's from right-handed um, you don't have to disengage the rumor. You just jump, step, go. And then as a left-hander, you leg lift and go. But now, eh, it's a little different. You have to step off completely and throw to any base. Now, in low A, this something is th- this is something that I'm very curious about, is the pickoff limitation. It's another thing. 
that uh, and, and these both really do impact stolen bases and, and low A especially. So pitchers will be. I'm leaving, reading this verbatim. Pitchers will be limited to a total of two step offs or picks per plate appearance while there is at least one runner on base. A pitcher may attempt a third pickoff in the same plate appearance, although if the runner safely returns to the base, the result is a balk. So that tells me that they are. Obviously, limiting a number of pickoffs to, to keep the game moving. But that third uh, loophole there or whatever, that third rule is limiting the base runner. So if two pickoffs were used to taking a huge lead after those two pickoff attempts. So like that base runner has to be cautious. However, it totally gives the advantage to the base runner as well after the pitcher uses his two pickoff attempts. And I think that's interesting. And I you know again, they want to promote stolen bases and activity on the base paths, but I mean that really does impact a pitcher's uh, approach to a plate appearance. It does. And I I wonder if teams are just going to start like telling their pitchers to just like ignore the guys on the bases and like get the guy, you know, and get guys out at the plate. Um yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, they they they're definitely trying to increase action and I think doing it in the minor leagues is the place to do it. I don't really hate any of this stuff because I, I guess I just like generally think that it's like positive to try stuff and doing it in the minors makes sense. So yeah, like we'll, we'll give it a shot and we'll, you know, we'll follow the minor leagues like we always do. And, you know, I'm sure people will be talking about some of the rules and how different they are. Like once it's actually occurring. Yeah, at least they're not moving the mound back two and a half feet. I, I, don't don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, the, and I don't know if there's any other like rad. I mean, look, people thought that the um, the extra inning stuff was radical too, and I actually like I don't hate. Yeah, that. I was going like, to ask you, especially like especially like in the minors. Like I get minors, it. like yeah. in the big leagues. Like if you yeah, like if you want to play ten and then do it like in the majors. Um, I guess I'm just di- like I don't need to see an eighteen inning baseball game. Because it like all it does is like mess you up for the entire week. Like I maybe that's like the coach in me, but I'm like, like th- this like screws up everything and everybody for and definitely in the minor leagues, there yeah. is no reason to play extra innings like in a minor league baseball game and like tax the arm of like you know pitchers who could be like valuable commodities for an organization. Like it, so like it definitely made sense in the minors. Like seven inning double headers make sense. Putting the runner on second to start extra innings to like get the game over with like makes sense so like i'm totally fine with those things and i'm i'm fine with that stuff like in the big leagues after after seeing it right like if you want to do it in the 11th instead of the 10th like i'd be that's fine with me too um you know to give them like one inning and i think a lot of people kind of thought that it was just like going to turn into this like bunt fest and like i don't really think it no, did yeah you're right um no i mean you just like need games to end at some right. point yeah and th- that i guess Traditionalists will argue, and I don't want to speak for them, but just thinking on the other side of it is, isn't that what the point of baseball is? Is you know, you build a franchise to have depth enough to overcome an 18 inning game across the week. But I agree with you. I, I, I man, I was disappointed to see that it started in the 10th as well. You know, I, I'd rather them have a full opportunity, normal under normal circumstances in the 10th, and then to accelerate the game a little bit. You know, if that's the solution that I understand, I may not like it completely because, yeah, you know, the home team suddenly loses their advantage when the road team starts the inning with a runner on second first, you know, and they kind of dictate the outcome offensively. So, you know, there are some qualms there, but I think if the payoff is getting more guys 
getting games finished and then keeping guys healthy and not stretching your organization thin and your 40-man roster thin and you're not staying up until 3.30 in the morning on a travel day, you know, that, that I think the pros outweigh the cons in this situation. So, yeah, I mean, interesting to dive into the idea of at least minor league baseball is experimenting with stuff, you know, and major league baseball is trying to be proactive in, in moving this game forward without really changing, like totally changing the base fundamentals of the way the game is played. Yeah, I, I think I think definitely. I mean, it could long term, right? And I think that's I just think that's like the benefit, one of the few, I guess, benefits of Major League Baseball taking over the minor leagues is that it's just, you know, you don't have to go to like the Sugarland Skeeters or whatever they were doing last year to like implement these changes and like see how some of this stuff works. Like now they can just kind of do whatever they want. Look, I think it's positive. I think people are always going to hate yeah. everything, like because it's not what it used to be. But I mean, look, there's a reason why like people aren't watching baseball like they used to. And I just not, I'm not totally sure what the solution is. Um, and uh, maybe it is more action, but I, I just don't think that is as easily attainable yeah. as just like making some rule changes. I just think players are awesome now. And this is kind of, you know, it is kind of what it is. I don't like the idea of rushing a pitcher. However, time between pitches, the nothing that happens is beyond ridiculous. Not too much. Yeah, I heard nothing happens in baseball. Yeah, and I heard Larusa like talked about it and basically said that he was on board. Like he liked it. He thought, like he heard good stuff about it, like from the leagues that actually like did it or tried it. And it, you know, like let's go. Just literally, like, like you know, and this like, goes for the hitters doing? too. And the umpires should enforce this rule and baseball whatever they want to have as a penalty for hitters who take their sweet time stepping out of the box, adjusting their stuff, and then getting a sign or whatever. Like it's a little different if they're looking down third baseline getting a sign, but if they're stepping out, taking three practice hacks, tapping their cleats, getting back in the box, swinging their bat, like that's forty seconds right there. And you add that up to a seven pitch at bat, man, we're there for like 10 minutes sometimes. Like it's it's brutal, the nothingness that happens a lot between pitches. Like that is, the, in my opinion, just get the ball, get back on the rubber, step out of the box, get back in the box and go. You know, it doesn't have to be an elongated process here in between every pitch. Now, big situations, bases loaded, a little different. Tensions are higher. You want to calm yourself down, fine. But let's speed this up a little bit. Games don't have to be three and a half hours on average, James. It's like, you know, minor league baseball sometimes gets done in 245, close to three hours. Major league baseball, if you can get it to 315, three hours, that would be perfect. I think that would retain a lot of the viewers. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get an argument from me. I mean, I look, I don't... I don't mind like the super long games or even like how long it takes, but lots of people do. And, you know, when people aren't watching your sport, I think you have to at least entertain the idea of, of making changes. And I think they've done that. The, you know, the one that I, like it was, la- I hate the, um, the three batter rule. That one drives me nuts, you know, just cause it kind of like takes loogies out of the game and stuff. But I, I understand um, the point of it. I, I do think it makes it tough, like sometimes though, right. to, you know, for like strategical purposes. And I do, I think it takes away jobs too, because I think there's like situational left-handers. Like I get it. Like it's annoying when managers go out and they use three pitchers in one inning, but that's just something I guess that I, that one causes a little bit more stress than, than I feel like it needs Yeah, to. I agree with you. All right. That's our venting session. James, is there anything else that we needed to hit on before we wrap things up? 
Yeah, we can keep going. I know today, you know, in the spring training games on, and Luis Robert looks, uh, he's doing Luis Robert things today, which is, which is always fun. So one, you know, one guy that's, you know, every, a lot of people think is very interesting is Yoelki Cespedes. He's in minor league minicamp. Um, you know, he he hasn't taken any at bats like in a big league game. But from what I've heard, they're you know they're pretty impressed with what they've seen. They think he can stick in center. It's you know it's a plus plus arm like we've talked about, and you know plus speed. It's all going to come down to the bat with him and how much power you know, he can develop because he's probably going to be playing in a corner. He told Scott Merkin of MLB.com that, you know, his goal is to play in the majors this season. I don't think that happens. Um, but, you know, I don't think 2022 is completely far-fetched, and I'm really curious to see where, um, like, where they send him. You know, like, I think it's it would be you send him to Winston, um, he might be a little bit more advanced than that, but going right to double A Birmingham might be a little tough as we talk about on the podcast all the time. I agree with you. I think 2022 is the target for Cespedes. He's got to get acclimated stateside a little bit, play some professional ball in the minors. I think Winston's the perfect spot for him just so he's not overwhelmed at that park that balls go to die. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think Yolki has something to prove. A lot of positive reviews on Yolki Cespedes. And Jim Kellis, right? They put out the top 30. Where did he rank Yolki? Was that six? They they put him six, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we're gonna have Jim on in the future just to kind of talk about that. I think he kinda and look, I think we debated him at six a little bit and we we aired on the side of going with guys that we had seen and their arms. So look, I understand going with the close to the majors outfielder at six instead of Stever in the high school arms. But, you know, we went the other way and, you know, hopefully he proves this wrong and looks awesome and he can be in the top five at midseason. Okay, 23 years old. So I'm pretty advanced in his, in his career already, despite never playing stateside. So something to keep in mind and something to keep an eye on is major league baseball is getting going in a couple of weeks. Can't wait for that. Minor league baseball a month that follows uh, the opening day. And I wonder what's going to happen in extended spring. Who's going to be among that uh, group of guys for the White Sox sake, as well as the alternate site. James, really good to talk to you again. Appreciate your time. Yeah, you too. It's it's good to be back, and you know, hopefully, we'll be back with guests starting up here pretty oh, soon. Oh yeah, we have guests in mind lined up, so stay tuned to the Future Sox Podcast. Really appreciate your support, and especially those who are subscribed to us on Patreon. If you're interested, check us out patreon.com. Search Future Sox, and we will be providing exclusive content to that all season long. Now that the minor leagues are getting going. Really appreciate your time listening. As always, follow us on Twitter at Future Sox. James Fox at well, God, I always, James, just plug your Twitter for me. Yeah, it's at it's at James Fox nine one seven. We're good now. At James Fox nine one seven. I'm at ranking nine zero six. We're on Spotify, iTunes, and Google, and on Anchor. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you all next time. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Let's go White Sox.